Hey, good morning again, everybody. <laughs> Great to be together. Um, as you heard, we're starting a brand new series today on the realities of heaven. What, what is your reaction to that, a, ser a series on heaven? Because over the course of my life, I think I would have had varied reactions to a series about heaven. You know, I might have thought at certain points, hey, I, I'm not sure the Bible really says much about heaven. But what I found is that it's, it says a whole lot more than I initially thought it did. And while it doesn't satisfy our every curiosity, what God has said about heaven, which is clear, is meant for our encouragement, and he has said it for a reason. And so we want to explore it. I might have said, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just find out when I get there. But do we do that with anything else, right? Like if I was gonna go on vacation to a foreign country or maybe even go live in a foreign country, I would find out everything I could about the language and the customs and the culture and the weather and the geography and all of that stuff to prepare myself for the trip that I was about to take. Well, here's the thing, our whole life is a preparation for eternity. And I might have said, well, maybe it's just best that we you know, just keep our focus on the here and now. The fact is though, those who do the most good in this present world are those who have thought the most about the next. And that is exactly the attitude and the experience of the Apostle Paul uh, when he was writing to the Christians at the church at Colossae, listen to what he says. This is from Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. You know, the life to come that is in front of us is more real and it is more permanent even than this life that we are experiencing right now. And the more that I set my sights on the realities of heaven, the more I understand that this present life is a test, it is a trust, and it is a preparation for what is to come. And that's why my belief about heaven has a strong influence on how I live today. And that's gonna be the thread that's gonna weave through all four messages of this series, is that my belief about heaven has a strong influence on how I live today. And so the hope here of this series is that we would do more things that matter for eternity because heaven is real and it's waiting. That as we set our sights on heaven, that we would have greater hope, we would have greater endurance in the trials and the troubles that we face in this life because they are only temporary and they will pale in experience to what is to come. That as we set our sights on the realities of heaven, we would have a greater desire to please the Lord 
and to win souls and to be in his kingdom forever. One of Satan's greatest deceptions is to deny the reality of what is to come, to deny the reality of heaven and hell. And if he cannot do that, because that's very hard to do, because the Bible says eternity is set in the human heart. We know this is not all there is. There is something inside of us that tells us that. Eternity is set in the human heart. So if he can't get us to deny the reality of heaven and hell, then he wants to give us inaccurate views about it so that we do not delight and live our lives in light of what is to come. Does anyone remember the old Far Side cartoons? Like they were like a fixture in the 90s, I think. So there was one, I, th I think we have it up here. Like it's this, it's this guy, yeah, it's this guy with a halo, he's floating on a cloud, he has a white robe on and he's kind of bored, right? And he's like, man, I should have brought uh, a magazine. Could anything be more false than that? And that is a largely a cultural view or an image that we may have in our mind about heaven. So here's what I wanna talk about this morning is what does the Bible say heaven will be like? What will it be like? And I'm not talking, the question that, that we're gonna to answer today on what heaven will be like, I'm not talking about the present heaven, that'll be next week. Pastor Paul's gonna share with us about that. What happens when I die, the present heaven? What we're talking about today is the future eternal heaven after Christ returns and when we are resurrected with him. That future eternal heaven. That's what we wanna talk about today. What will it be like? And the greatest description of it is found in the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 and a little bit of chapter 22. And what I wanna do, and I know this passage is a little long-ish, so hang with me, okay? But I wanna read it in its entirety. I think it's good for us just to hear the public reading of scripture and for you to hear all of this context, even as we're gonna pull out some of these things to talk about in particular, but I want you to hear the whole context of it. So here is Revelation chapter 21, which is a description of the future eternal heaven that awaits us after the resurrection. Here's the vision that God gave to the apostle John about it. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you 
is trustworthy and it is true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idolatry, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And, the, and so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall, it was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were, were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length, width, and height were each 1,400 miles. And then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall itself was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the ninth chrysopase, or the tenth chrysopase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth was amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as pure as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates it, and the lamp is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. The gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. And then the angel showed me a river 
with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be any curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamp or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we, and we just ask that you would open it up to us, illuminate us, uh, what we read today for our encouragement. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna share with you four things about the coming kingdom of God, four things about heaven. And there are more things that we could say about it than just four. That's why I wanted to read to you the whole passage. You got the whole thing in context. But I think these four things, some of them may be surprising to you about God's future kingdom. And I know that all four will be encouraging to us as we reflect on it together, all right? So here are these four things. Here's the first thing to know about the future coming kingdom of God is that you will live on a renewed earth. Did you catch that when we read it at the beginning of Revelation 21? You will live on a renewed earth. It said right there in verse one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. It says the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I think one of the future, one of the misconceptions that we have about the future heaven is that we will be disembodied spirits floating on a cloud, strumming a harp, and needing a magazine, okay? Uh, when in fact, it says here, God is gonna recreate a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, a new universe that will be even better than the present one that we live in. And then it says the new Jerusalem will descend on it like its capital city where the Lord himself will rule with perfect justice and righteousness. Its foundation indicating its eternal stability, its gates and its walls indicating its, its peace and security will never be in question. Now, we don't know exactly what it will be like, but if you can imagine our current earth without corruption, 
without sin and with God's perfect reign, we are beginning to catch a glimpse of this place. The natural wonders of the present earth are gonna pale in comparison to the wonders on that new heaven and that new earth. And interestingly enough, this vision of a, of a new earth and a new Jerusalem is not just found here in Revelation 21, but it's also described in detail by the prophet Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets. And if you, if, if you wanna study and look into these things, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 60 and 62 and 65, they all give a description similar to the vision that John gets of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And this hope of a new earth, this hope of a new Jerusalem has always been the hope of God's people in order to encourage us. And here's the second amazing thing that we need to understand is that we will enjoy this renewed earth with a glorified body. That's number two, is that I will enjoy a glorified body at this time. Because again, a misconception of the future heaven is that we are just spirits kind of floating around. But scripture says clearly and many times that we will have resurrected, glorified bodies like Jesus did after his resurrection. For instance, in Philippians 3.21, Paul says he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. You know, Jesus walked the earth in a glorified body for 50 days following his resurrection, right? And so we get a picture, a little bit, of that glorified body. And one of the things we notice is that while Jesus was different, he was also recognizable to his disciples. He walked with them. He talked with them. He enjoyed food and drink with them. All five senses. And we should expect that our glorified bodies would be similar to that. And in fact, we would need such a body in order to enjoy the new earth. Are you looking forward to a new body? <laughs> Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, some of you may know that name, she um, became paralyzed from the neck down after a diving accident. And she continues to be an amazing voice for Christ. And I, but I wanna read to you what she said about her anticipation for this new glorified body. She writes, I, I, I still can hardly believe it that I, with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling in my body from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body that is light and bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? 
or someone who is cerebral palsied or brain injured or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion promises new bodies and hearts and minds. It's only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. We, we will enjoy a new earth with glorified bodies. Praise God for that. Yes. <laughs> I want to share with you a third thing that you're going to enjoy, that we will enjoy in the new heaven, God's future kingdom, is that you will have unspeakable joy and pleasure in God's presence. Unspeakable joy and pleasure. The most important thing about heaven and the central feature of it is that God's home and our home will be together forever. You know, right now, they are separated, but in the future kingdom, we will dwell together forever. We will see the Lord face to face, and we will know him fully, even as he knows us. This is what John was communicating in Revelation 21 that we read when he said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And listen to this beautiful, amazing image. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. You know, sometimes people wonder about God's presence, saying, well, I, mm, that might be a little scary <laughs> being in, uh, in God's presence in that way. But listen to what the psalmist says. This is Psalm 1611. It says, you will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You will have unspeakable joy and pleasure in his presence. And one of the sources of that joy is going to be an overwhelming sense of God's love for you. All of our fears all of our insecurities will be replaced by his love and his acceptance. You know, as believers, we get glimpses of that now, right? We get overwhelmed by, by God's love for us. We sense his love for us. But because of our brokenness, we don't always fully experience it the way he wants us to experience it. But in, in heaven, we will have that unbroken and overwhelming sense of his love in our life. Has anyone ever watched um, the TV show? It's called Long Lost Family. And it's, it's, it's a series where these, these men and women who were adopted out as, as infants go on a search for their biological family, their long lost family. 
And what's interesting to me about these stories is that these people, even, even, um, even if they had absolutely wonderful and amazing adoptive families, and nearly all of them did, and even though they're, they're uh, adults, right, yet <laughs> there is this deep desire in them to know that they are wanted, to know that they are loved, and it is what's compelling in some ways the search for their biological family, why there is so much emotion for them in this search. They need to know, am I wanted, am I loved, and I have to find out about that. There's this deep yearning inside of the human soul to know that, and you will experience God's overwhelming love for you, and it will be one of the amazing sources of joy. And this is why worship will be a central feature of heaven. It could be our only possible reaction to the holiness of the great king, the holiness of the lamb and his overwhelming love for us. But remember, worship is not just singing. Worship includes singing, and I'm sure we're gonna be doing some of that around the throne, but worship is more than singing. Worship is doing everything we do all for the glory of God, and you're gonna be doing amazing things in God's kingdom. You will have amazing responsibilities, amazing adventures, amazing things that you're going to be doing in the new heaven, the new earth, but all of it will be done uh, as worship to the great king for his glory and for his honor. Can I tell you one more thing about the coming kingdom? And it is this, that I will enjoy rich relationships, both old and new. In other, in other words, relationships that we knew on this earth, but also the great privilege of new relationships we have yet to form. And here's why I believe that's true. Although there's not like a, a single verse in, in Revelation 21 that specifically says that, let me tell you why I believe unequivocally that that's true. It's because God designed us from the very beginning for relationship, right? That was true in the Garden of Eden even before sin ever entered the world. When only Adam was there, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He created you and I for relationship. It's part of our makeup. And love is the one thing that remains forever, right? We won't need faith in heaven because we'll be seeing him face to face. We won't need hope because it will all have been finished. But love will remain and we will be able to have fellowship with amazing people who have walked with God down through the ages. I was reminded of this verse. This is in Matthew chapter eight, verse 11. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven, that future eternal kingdom. We will sit down at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who do you look forward to interacting with? One of the great saints of the past. You know, we'll also find joy in people that we knew on this earth. 
I was reminded of this because of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He's speaking about his relationship with the Thessalonian church. And he says, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord when he returns? He says, it is you. He says, you Thessalonians will be a source of joy to me in the kingdom to come. And likewise, we will be able to find joy in the people that we knew in this life. Lives that we touched will be reunited with them in the kingdom of God. People who touched our lives will be able to be a source of joy to them as well. Imagine the great reunion that's going to happen in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, last week, we had a community Good Friday service. It was at, it was at Brown's Chapel. And a, lot of, a lot of the churches in our community get together to do that service at noon. And one of the things I enjoy about it is that I get to see other pastors, other believers, other Christians in our community that I don't always get, always get to see all the time. But there, at one of those community services, you see all of these wonderful people that you love that you don't get to see every day. And so when we went on Friday, all of these people were lined up in this hallway as you enter the sanctuary. It's almost like running a gauntlet, right? You're giving high fives, elbows, hugs. There's tears like, hey man, how are you, brother? How are you? It is so good to see you. And, and almost in that moment, it's like getting just a little glimpse, right, of heaven. What it's gonna be like when we enter that eternal kingdom. People that we impacted, people that impacted us, the hugs all around, the, and the rich web of relationships that we will have. Some of you may remember um, uh, Ray Boltz. Uh, he wrote a lot of Christian music like in the 80s and the, and the 90s, kind of going back there a little bit. But he wrote this song, it's still out there, like you can totally still see the music video today if you want to look it up. But it was called Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Some of you may remember it. If you haven't, go look it up today after church. Ray Boltz, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. But he imagines this great scene in heaven you know, he talks about, you know, the, the Sunday school, the child in Sunday school who comes up to you and says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a changed life because of you, right? And so here's the thing. We can't take material things to heaven, but we can take people to heaven. And that will be part of our joy in the coming kingdom. People are often curious about the nature of our family relationships in heaven. You know, Jesus said that the institution of marriage per se will end because it will have fulfilled its purpose in this present age. But that does not mean that we won't know and enjoy one another in even deeper and richer and better ways. And we can expect that family members and loved ones who know Jesus will all be part of that rich web of relationships that will bring us great joy in God's kingdom. Let me tell you one other thing about relationships in heaven, because this kind of 
it's kind of blew my mind a little bit just because I hadn't thought about it that much. Uh, but Revelation 21 seems to indicate that we will experience a renewed human society on the new earth with all of the relationships and all of the responsibilities that human society and culture entails. It says this of the New Jerusalem in, in, in uh, verse 24. It says, the nations will walk in its light. The nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Nations and cultures will still be present on the new earth. And yet, because of the, the leaves of healing for the nations, relationships between nations will be healed. The cultural sins present in each nation will be healed. While the best of human society, in all of its great diversity, will stream through the gates of the new Jerusalem, bringing their worship and devotion to the great king. What an amazing sight. What an amazing thing to look forward to. Do you long for heaven? Do you have great anticipation about it? I mean, who wouldn't want to be in God's great kingdom at the ends of the earth? Who wouldn't want to be? And yet, that brings up a question, which is, who goes to heaven? I mean, does, does everyone just automatically gain entrance into the kingdom of God? And the answer to that is no. But Jesus gives an invitation in Revelation 21. Did you catch it? He gave this great invitation. He said, to all who are thirsty, all, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. The invitation is to every man, every woman, every child, every person, every nation, every tongue, every language, to all who are thirsty, you may come and drink. Are you thirsty for Jesus? He says, come in faith and he will give you life and the kingdom to come. You know, we aren't guaranteed another day. I was talking with a guy yesterday. He was relating to me about a serious motorcycle accident that he was involved in last fall where a deer just bolted out from the woods and crashed into his bike. And he's blessed to be alive today. He looked great. But when he was reflecting on his Experience. He's like, hey man, everything can change just like that. Just like that. I could have died that day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It can change just like that. Do you have the assurance of heaven? Because when we die, it's, it's too late to make any of these decisions. Do you have the assurance of heaven? You know, sometimes if I'm at the hospital for someone who 
maybe only has days, hours even, to live, and they know that. They know their time on this earth is not long, and so I won't beat around the bush in a situation like that and just say, hey, do you have the assurance of heaven in your heart? And usually, they'll say something like, well, I've lived as good a life as I know how to live. I've done the best that I can do. And I think God will accept me in his kingdom. And that's an opportunity right then and there to say, hey, that's not the entrance requirement to heaven. There's only one way we get to heaven and it is through accepting the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Because there's no amount of good we can do to merit heaven, to earn heaven. None of us have met that requirement. It's only through God's mercy. Confessing Christ as your savior and as your Lord, as the forgiveness for your sins, that's it. And so then right then and there, if he's thirsty for God's forgiveness, he can receive it. And many have done so. Other times people will say, they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, and they'll say something like, man, the things I've done, God would never forgive me for the things that I have done. I'm a horrible person. God could not forgive me. And we're reminded, it says, to all who are thirsty, I will give of the waters of life. We're all sinners who just need to come in humility before Christ the King. And he will grant us that entrance into heaven. And so do you have that assurance firm in your heart today? You can have it. Every one of us can have it. And I hope every one of us has it before we leave this building today because everything can change like that on a dime. Before you leave today, do you have the assurance of heaven? And you can have it through Christ our Lord. And so I want to take just a moment. I want to lead us in a prayer. And every one of us can have that assurance before we leave today. I want you to receive it into your heart today. If you would pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for this beautiful church, these beautiful people. We thank you for this beautiful vision of your coming kingdom that you gave to your servant John and your servant Isaiah. And we are looking forward to that great kingdom with amazing anticipation. Who would not desire to be in that heaven? Who would not desire to be in your coming kingdom? We want it, we desire it. And Lord, I wanna pray for every person here if you lack any assurance in your heart today, God wants to press that assurance deep into your spirit and deep into your heart that not a single one of us deserves heaven. Not a single one of us can merit heaven in our own works. We simply have to fall in humility before the Lamb of God that your blood shed for us is the only thing that can cover our sin. We accept you today as the Son of God. Your blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sin. I turn from my sin, I repent of it, and I ask for your blood to cover it. And your word says that if I will, believe, if I will confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. And so I believe that and I confess that right now. I'm thirsty for the living God and I know you will grant me the water of life. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for that. And every one of us, Lord, keep this vision of heaven forefront of our minds that we would have a greater desire to please you. We would have a greater desire to win souls. We would have a greater desire to focus our life on eternal things, not just material things we cannot take with us, but on eternal things, that we would take men and women with us to heaven. Lord, we thank you for the great joy that awaits us. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we thank him for what he's doing in our hearts and our lives. Praise God for that. Amen. Let's stand together.